The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh, when my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his tabernacle, at his tabernacle will I sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, O God, my Savior. Though my Lord and, sorry, though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, breathing out violence. I am still confident of, I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Thank you, Bob. Appreciate that. When I chose this psalm, I didn't realize how many different ways that psalm is appropriate for what we're trying to do here this morning as we worship uh, the Lord together. Happy Father's Day to those of you who are fathers. Um, We appreciate you. We appreciate um, the role that you play. And we certainly do appreciate our Father God. Um, It talks here about fathers uh, and their struggle and failure. And I can say as a father, I know that there's failure. But we can be thankful for a heavenly father who never fails. Uh, He's a good God. He's always a good, the perfect father. But uh, also talks about worship here. And here we go, continuing to try and work our way through how it is that we're going to be able to worship God in the midst of this time. And there have been some new regulations came out this week that we just found out about. And, and here we are, we're gathered and trying to, trying to make sure within the regulations that we're able to uh, do what we've been called to do, to lift up God, to worship his name. It talks about singing here, which is, is an issue, at issue right now. But here we are. Uh, trying to honor him in these days. And so we are going to continue studying God's word. We're going to go back to Acts chapter 4. And uh, as we study, begin this chapter, um, let's take a moment, have a word of prayer, and ask the Lord to guide our hearts, guide our minds. And uh, one more thing I was going to say, if Little ones make a little bit of noise in the service. It's no big deal, right? And uh, we're just glad to have them here with us. And so, uh, parents, if you bring your children, don't worry about them if they're, if they're making little noises and stuff. And those of the rest of you, you're the problem. If the little kids are making noise, don't gawk at them because that just makes them want to perform more. Right, Ezra? Yeah, he knows. Um <laughs> No, thank you. It's good to have each one here this morning. Father, you're a good God. You are the perfect Father. And as we come before you this morning, we want to lift you up. And we want to thank you for all that you have done on our behalf. We want to thank you for coming alongside of us, for nurturing us, for caring for us. Even as fathers, we want to thank you for giving us a model to look to, even though we're not able to follow it perfectly. And we ask that uh, you would help us this morning, God, 
as we come before you, that we would see your truth in this word, this book, your Bible. And Lord, we also pray that you would speak to us through your spirit, the presence of your spirit in our lives. It's unbelievable to think that a God, the God of the universe, would want to dwell in a certain way within us, leading us, guiding us, helping us to understand truth. And we pray that we would be willing, uh, willing recipient, recipients of your truth. We, we pray that you'd help us to be submissive hearers of your word this morning as we look into it. And so guide us, lead us, we pray, as we learn from you. And we pray that you would get all of the honor and the glory from our attentiveness this morning and from how uh, this word, your presence in us, changes us this morning. So guide us, we pray, in Christ's name, amen. We have, we've been in the book of Acts, and as I keep saying, it's exciting because it speaks to us here right now where we're at as we're trying to be the church in uncertain times, in difficult times. And Acts clearly defines for us who we are to be, what we are to do as witnesses of Jesus Christ in the world. We're not just people who, who sort of are religious but we're to be people who are in relationship with him and, and sharing this good news about Jesus Christ and about who he is. And how do we do that? Well, we do that, we do that by abiding with him. As we walk with Christ, as we know him better through our lives, as we understand him more, and as, as we are obedient, he lives through us. And that's the only way to get, communicate clearly Jesus Christ and his his gospel. Je- John was very clear, or Jesus was clear about this in John's gospel before he left. The Spirit's coming, and he he talked talk to the disciples just before he left. He said, "Wait, uh, you will get the Spirit." And in obedience, they were abiding in Christ, and Christ showed up in the form of the Spirit in them. And I think that's important that we realize that, that we recognize this. This isn't some sort of uh, funeral sentiments, you know, we always say, well, he or she will forever live in our hearts. Which means, yes, we'll have a memory of that person as they depart. We'll continue to think about them. They'll come to, to mind again and again. But they're not with us anymore. And when Jesus says, I will be with you. It's a whole different thing. It's not just, oh, a memory of how he was. Or it's not just uh, the idea, oh, yeah, he was, you know, he he was good. And this is the way he would have done it. And and this is the message he has. No. The idea is he is with us in the form of his spirit. And if we're born of God, we're born into the spirit. Just like he said to Nicodemus in in John chapter 3. The Spirit comes. And we're not satisfied with simply a memory of who Jesus was. But it's God in the form of His Spirit. Jesus Christ present in us. And because of this, we're able to live out grace in this world. And that is the thing that we need to capture. We need to remember. It's not simply the memory but it's him here. And the spirit came. He indwelt his disciples in power and truth. We work through this cycle twice in chapter 2 and chapter 3. Where we saw clear signs of the spirit in the apostles. Uh, we saw they gave a concise sermon. They said this is what this all means. And they pointed people back to Christ and his gospel. And then they called people to turn from sin and turn to Christ, repentance. So there is a cycle of a clear sign, a concise sermon, and then a call to turn from sin. And we see how it happened in that very, uh, it was a big way. It was, it was impressive. The signs were miraculous. But we understand that this needs to go on in our lives as well. There needs to be clear signs of grace 
of God's grace working through us. Not just being nice people, but being graciously loving people. Graciously forgiving people. Supernaturally loving people. Not because we're great people and we can work real hard at this, but because we're allowing God to work through us. We're listening to his prompting when he says, hey, move there, help this person there, do this. And we do it, and all of a sudden, we're not living based on just the memories of Christians before or the message of the word here. But there's living, breathing examples of God's grace presently in our lives today. And that is exciting. That is what gives life to the church. And that is many times why the church does not have life. We don't feel life because we're not walking in that living, present, active, you know, Holy Spirit guided life. And so just an encouragement. You might think a rebuke. No, an encouragement, a challenge for us. To continue to live out the Christian life through the power of the Spirit today. Your life, in your home, in your community. And this is what God wants to do. And we see what the disciples did in this time. John and Peter, as they, as they moved, as that lame man was healed, as they said, this has to do with Jesus of Nazareth, the one you crucified. And they called people to repent. Repent of of rejecting Jesus Christ and turn back to him. Be saved. Receive the salvation that he so graciously offers. And we, as people who, who celebrate that because we understand we were sinners, we've turned to Christ, we we think this is wonderful. But there are always those who don't turn back to him, who struggle with this message. Repentance. Me? Submit? Whoa. That goes against everything that is natural in us, right? You don't believe me? Have a short or small disagreement with somebody? Immediately. It doesn't matter whether you're right or wrong. You're not going to back down, right? This even happens with people we love, right? We don't want to back down. We don't want to submit. We don't want... And that's what the message of the gospel is all about. Submitting to God, the God of the universe. And (laughs) that should be something we're able to do. It should be something we see as logical to do. But we still fight against it naturally in our flesh. But these people, some people oppose this message. They oppose this call to repentance. They oppose those We're preaching that message, and we see that here. The crazy thing to understand is, it's not just people who are anti-religious. Sometimes the strongest proponents of the gospel of Jesus Christ, of Jesus Christ himself, are religious people. And that's true today. Because sometimes we go about our religion in in simply a, a very non-relational way with God. Our religion can become about us, about our pride, about us doing things the way we want to do things. And that's what happens in the circumstance. We have the opposition to Jesus Christ and the gospel coming from the religious community. We're going to see that as this this unfolds, and it, it shouldn't surprise us. It shouldn't surprise us that, um, yeah, this happens. People oppose the gospel. Sometimes we're a little naive and we think, oh, well, people should just love Jesus like we do. They should just accept that God is God and that he has this plan. It, it all makes sense. We can't be naive. I was going to tell you a little story. I forgot to ask permission for this story. I was going to ask permission of my son to tell this story. But grant me this. This is Father's Day. This is your one gift to me on Father's Day. I can tell. 
when I was in Peru, when we were living in Peru, I wrote up these little pamphlets, these little gospel tracts that shared the gospel with people. And I always wanted to do that at the very beginning, especially because at the beginning I wasn't clear, I wasn't great at communicating the gospel. I thought, at least it's written down. And so I'm giving out these tracts, and my son, who was just a wee little guy, loved to give out these tracts too. He saw his dad giving them to people. He goes, give me some. And so he would go around and who would refuse a little boy? I mean, in Peru, they're very religious people. And so they're very open to talking about God. And, and of course, they're going to receive a tract even from, especially from a, a, a little white boy. And he got so energetic about this. Sometimes driving down the road, we go by a park and there'd be a bunch of people there. You go, dad, we should stop there and hand out tracks, and I go, oh, okay, so we'd pull over, and we go, we hand out tracks, and I asked him once, I said, why do you like doing this, and he says, because people smile at me when I do this, <laughs> he's very honest, he loved doing it, because people, people loved receiving it, and the point is, the point I'm trying to make is, I, I talked to him then. I said, you know what this message says? And we talked about how this message tells people they're sinners. And so I explained to him, even at that young age, you know, people aren't always going to like hearing this message. In fact, they like receiving the track, but when they read it, they might go, oh, I don't like this message. It says I'm a sinner and I need to be saved, which is good news because most people don't know where salvation is found. They don't know where eternal hope is. And it is a great message, but they hiccup. They stumble when it comes to that message of accepting the fact that I am a sinner and I need a Savior. That I'm wrong. <laughs> wow, how does that taste coming out of my mouth? <laughs> I'm wrong. And so that's the hard part of the message. And so we see this happen here in chapter 4. And we shouldn't be surprised because the apostles, they weren't promoting themselves. They were promoting Christ. And as they talked about Christ, we, we recognize that the world opposed Christ. The world was against Jesus. And Jesus said on a couple of occasions in Mark's gospel and in John's gospel, read it, he says, hey, if they're going to persecute me, he said to his followers, they're going to persecute you. If they're not going to like the message I'm giving to them, as, I mean, he's, he was God. He was God in this world, presenting it perfectly. If they're not going to accept that, if that's going to get them riled up, certainly when you share my message, same thing's going to happen. And so, we need to understand that that will happen. And I know sometimes as we share the gospel message, as Christians even share the gospel message, they do it in ways that are offensive. We can be offensive. I, I bet you every one of us in this room, as we've talked to people about Jesus, we in and of ourselves have been offensive. But more often than not, our problem is we're a little bit timid about sharing it. We're not supposed to offend. That's what I want to make sure I say. We're not to be, uh, you know, kind of in-your-face sort of uh, people who offend from our... Let the message offend people if it's going to. But we need to be sharing that message in a careful way. We need to try not to be... Uh, antagonistic as we do it. And these are the things, as we read through this chapter that we're going to discover, um, we want to understand what is going on when we share the gospel. Because sometimes we think they should be hearing it just the way I'm saying it or I'm thinking about it as they say it. What's actually happening in their minds? Also, um, what's going on in the minds of the people who are offended in particular? And what are our guiding principles or what is our guiding principle as we share Christ with other people. So let's read through the first 21 verses, uh, large section, but it's a story, so it moves fairly quickly. Listen carefully and ask God just to help you understand 
in particular, what he wants to speak to you about. And I'll do the same thing for me this morning as we study this. It says in verse 1, And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them, put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the, of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, the rulers and the elders and the scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were the high priest family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what, by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, who God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another saying, what shall we do with these men? For that, for, for that a notable sign had been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. We cannot deny it. But in order that it may not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they have further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them. Because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. An interesting story. It's sort of exciting to see, you know, we know how God worked in healing this lame man and just how the, the story unfolds as these people push back against this presentation of God's grace in the world and the gospel. Now, if we want to separate those 21 verses that we read, we could do it in a legal way. We have the arrest, the inquiry, and the sentencing, okay? The arrest, the inquiry, and the sentencing. But we can add a little bit more to each one of these things. It was an irritated arrest. They were bugged. And so that's why they arrested. It wasn't really that there's anything going on legally, but they were irritated because they were proclaiming Jesus' name. Secondly, it was an acknowledging inquiry. Because of the power of Jesus, because of what had happened, they couldn't deny the truth of it. And then last of all, it was an awkward sentencing. Once again, because Christ really did something there and there was nothing wrong going on, they really were, were handcuffed. Not Peter and John, but the guys who were trying to give out a sentence against what they were doing. So let's have a look at these three parts First of all, the irritating arrest for proclaiming Jesus. It should be noted, first of all, we should note that Peter and John were simply speaking to the people. 
They were answering the question that was hanging in the air. What just happened? And we think that is a perfect explanation for what Peter talks about later in his letter in 1 Peter 3.15 where he says, be ready to give an answer to every man who asks you the reason, the hope that is in you. You see, a lot of our witness, our Christian testimony, our, our witness to Christ's power should simply be us asking, answering questions. Because people look and they go, why are you happy? People look at you and go, why do you love like that? Why are you willing to put up with that and yet still love those people? Why are you so gracious? And if people are not asking us that, we should ask ourselves, why? (laughs) Am I not being gracious? Am I not allowing Christ to live through me? And each one of us would say, yeah, that happens. Yes, I fail. But overwhelmingly, we should be the sort of people that people are asking questions. There's a couple of reasons why we may not be. Maybe Christ isn't abiding or isn't, Christ isn't present in your life. Yes, that happens. Religious people, people who go to church, don't know Jesus, aren't in a personal relationship with Jesus. So we should ask ourselves, is that happening? Is there a present testimony to Christ being in my life? And the other option is that we're not walking as faithfully with him. Maybe we know salvation, we've come to Christ, but we're kind of living distantly from him. And so, a challenge to us. Let's be those people who people are asking questions of. Let's use that as a measuring stick for us. Let's use that for a rebuke in our own lives. Wow, if people aren't asking me why I'm different, Lord, I need to draw closer to you. Lord, I need to walk more faithfully with you. I need to spend more time in your word, more time in your presence. So as I go out in in the day, as I live regular life, you are flowing through me. I am listening to your voice. I'm responding. And, And how often do we do that? Do we live our lives going, okay, Lord, what would you have me do? How are you gonna lead me? What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? Normally, I'm too busy to be asking those questions. Even though I'm doing maybe church stuff, I'm doing it just thinking like, well, this is what I got to do. I don't do it in a living relationship. Coming home from my parents last night, I, I called my wife. We were there about 45 minutes away. I called my wife. I said, Lisa, uh, I could be home about 45 minutes. And she says, you remember tonight's the night I'm on the Zoom or on a FaceTime call with my friend in Peru. And so I thought, well, no rush to get home. She's going to be talking. And so I was, leavi- I was leaving there and I, I start to think, well, I am no hurry to get home. And then I start thinking, you know, it's when there's nothing else to do. You start saying, okay, Lord, what would you have me do? Do you want me to visit somebody on the way home? Do you want me to, you know, wh- what, what path do I need to take? What road? And I just thought, oh, I'll go through Tilsonburg, see if they've cleared up that detour yet that's there. And, and I start driving, and I'm just picking my way through getting home and, and saying, well, Lord, if, if you want me, bring somebody to mind who I should visit uh, on the way through here. And I'm, I'm trying to be conscious about, and I, I come up this one road and there's this guy big guy running down the road and as I drove by I went oh, I know him I was a youth pastor to that guy years ago so I pulled over had a talk with him he's a struggling guy that you know nothing wonderful big I didn't do any miracles I know you're waiting for that you thought I did a miracle but I didn't do a miracle. But, but you just think, okay, the opportunity to show some grace, to, to talk to somebody, to encourage somebody. Normally, I'm too busy for that. Normally, I got my things going on. And I'm not 
listening and walking with the Lord and ready, ready to show grace to people through my life. And so we need to be careful. We need to be ready. We need to be asking God. We need to be walking and living with Him. Another thing I want to note here is these disciples, they were just speaking to people. They were answering the question. They weren't inciting a riot. They weren't trying to get people riled up against the religious of that day. They weren't starting a protest. They weren't acting like activists trying to crush their opponents or convince this is our natural human response when it comes to sharing the gospel a lot of times you know we're timid we don't really want to talk about the gospel we 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 don't want to bring up something that that makes people uncomfortable or or that people will look at us and go what planet are you from because it's different but then we turn this switch and we go but i want to share the gospel and we we go to this extreme of becoming somewhat argumentative and thinking, I have got to convince these people that this is true. And we, we kind of get like that, antagonistic. And that's not what happened here. It may be a normal human response, but that's not what God's purposes are when it comes to sharing the gospel. If people don't want to listen, Jesus Christ never tried to buttonhole people, force them. He said, this is the truth. This is the truth. And people take it or leave it. And you know, that's an amazing thing in terms of the autonomy of a human being with, inside of this idea of our relationship with God. I don't know why he did it. Why he gave us the opportunity to respond or not to his truth. But we should have that same attitude. Here it is. Here's the wonderful news. Here's salvation. Here's hope. And hope eternal. But you don't have to accept it. I'm not going to try and force you, try and manipulate you into it. I'm not going to argue, try and... The only antagonism here was on the part of the religious people we, we see the Sadducees uh, and we need to understand in particular why they rushed to take this offensive stance in this moment you see it wasn't simply that they were part of the religious group probably had members on the the Sanhedrin that 70 person council that took Jesus in and that accused him of blasphemy but the Sadducees had a particular belief that was different than all of the other religious groups. The Pharisees, the priests, the scribes, they, they believed that there was no resurrection. That nobody ever, ever rose from the dead. And I heard something also interesting this week. They only believed that Moses' books, the first five books of the Old Testament, those were the authoritative ones. And all the rest, you know, you could sort of read them and learn something from them, but they were not inspired. Which helps me understand why they could jump over this idea of resurrection. Because we have some in the Old Testament books after Moses, we have some incidents where there are people who come back to life. A prophet heals them in God's power. And so these guys were particularly offended by the message. It wasn't simply that they were saying, you know, this Jesus who you crucified, you guys were wrong. But they were saying, this Jesus also rose from the dead. And so they were upset. They had obvious reasons uh, to find this, this message, this teaching, particularly distasteful. And it says they were greatly annoyed sort of an interesting way of putting it. I think they were probably eh, ticked off, really ticked off. And so, because of their position, they were particularly upset. They defended this no resurrection thing to the end. 
In fact, you can see it later in Acts chapter 23. There's a point where Paul was teaching the gospel and they pulled him into the temple and they were questioning him. And in the group that were questioning him, there were Pharisees who believe in the resurrection and there were Sadducees who don't believe in the, in the resurrection. And Paul said, wait a minute. Am I being called in here because I believe in the resurrection? And all of a sudden, this fight between the Pharisees and the Sadducees broke out. And it was almost like he could have just kind of snuck and walked out and left. Well, because it, it just shut down the whole trial because of the argument these guys had about the resurrection. So we understand why the Sadducees in particular were the guys who were charging out there who were so aggressive and angry about what the disciples were doing. There's enough aggressive behavior in the world today. And there's this oversensitive strategy as well in the world. I think you've seen it out there, this oversensitivity that, oh, you've offended me. You can't say that. Why? There's enough of this, I guess, either from the passive side or the aggressive side, throwing wood on the fire, trying to build up problems, trying to make there be problems where there aren't. There's enough of that in the world today that I think we need to take a step back and look at how we're going to share the gospel. We need to think about doing it in a gentle and loving way to help those who we're talking to. And be careful that we're not, we're not ones that are escalating problems, but de-escalating. And we can do that effectively. And I think the gospel is, is, is better testified about when we do it in a loving and gentle way. I mean, we see what happened here. We got these aggressive leaders in the temple on one side, and we got these two men who are simply speaking and answering questions, answering the question in everybody's mind. And what's it say at the end of the, that, those first four verses? 5,000. 5,000 people, 5,000 men responded to that message. I think there was an effective witness went on here in this situation. And God will work in people's hearts and lives. And he will do that in a powerful way, even in the midst of, of problems where truth is not being promoted. We can be confident of that. We need to be trusting of that. And we need to just make sure that we are the ones who are de-escalating de-escalating problems and just sharing this is the truth this is the gospel this is our hope and it's founded in jesus christ his power his presence he's god and so we can have a tremendous confidence as even we face pushback against the gospel we need to have a confidence that god's in control and he'll continue to to turn the light on in people's hearts he'll continue to draw people to himself He'll continue to help them understand how the cross of Jesus Christ is our salvation. It's the only way, the only truth, the only life. Let's move into the second part, an acknowledging inquiry. So the two apostles, they follow the path that Christ took. They end up being hauled before this council, and we see it seems like it's the full council. Some of the same names are mentioned here as were in Jesus' council, the council that he stood before just before he was crucified. If you go back to John chapter 18, you see Caiaphas and Annas, the high priest, was there. And I want you to think, how were Peter and John feeling at this time you know i think many times we just kind of breeze through these stories we know how it ends we know that nothing bad happens to them but we don't think of them coming into that council standing before these men and they're going deja vu <laughs> here we go again are we going to end up 
hung on a Roman cross as well. And so that gives a little bit of a backdrop about the pressure they're feeling about what they think they're facing in this moment. Another thing that's interesting is it says they waited till the next day. Twice it says that. The end of verse, or in verse 4 and then the first part, it says they, they took him in and they, they, they waited till the next day for the trial. Why? Why? Because it was evening. And because Jewish trials, the religious community, it wasn't legitimate to hold them at night. And we remember, when was Jesus' trial held? They didn't wait till the next day. They didn't want people around to hear. And so they did it at night. So these guys were afforded a, a, a benefit that Jesus wasn't. And it's interesting just how that pops up twice. It says, yep, they waited till the next day because that's the only legal way to hold one of these trials. But they didn't do that with Christ. Another thing that's interesting is the statement they make that presupposes this was a real miracle. And I think this is something that helps us as, as we come to the Word of God, we believe the Word of God to be true, and we see the people who opposed this truth weren't lying. I mean, if anybody wants to to say, to, to sort of wipe this away and say, this isn't important at all. It's the opposition. But they don't say, you guys didn't do a real miracle. They said, by whose power? In whose name did you do this miracle? So as we look at this historically, we go, wow, something really happened here. In fact, I think it's later in verse 16, they go, well, we can't say they didn't do anything because they did something. And everybody knows they did something. And if we say they didn't do something, we're going to look stupid. Right? And so we go back to this as a historical record and we go, yeah. Wow, even the enemies of Jesus Christ or the enemies of the apostles, they're going, well, we can't say nothing happened. And they did this all the time with Jesus, right? Until the end, they're going, you did this by the power of Satan. Because Jesus was walking through Judea, Palestine, Samaria, and he was doing miracles, and, and there was no question. It wasn't like some of those so-called faith healers who were running around today, you know, taking people's glasses saying, you can see now, and the people are going, okay. And they don't want to show a lack of faith, and so they walk away without their glasses and probably in a few days, have to get a new pair of glasses and, you know, these sorts of things. It wasn't something that, that could be disputed. Jesus, it says in the very last verse of this passage, this guy was 40 years old. He'd been lame since birth. And he was walking. He was walking. And so, they were saying, hey, there's a real miracle took place. In whose name? By what power? How did it happen? And you know, I love the way Peter is not at all politically correct. He doesn't try and give one of these answers that you hear in question period in our Canadian government where a person goes on and, and talks for five minutes and at the end you're scratching your head going, what did they just say? Were they talking about what that guy was talking about? It was so clear. It was so concise. He says, well, if this is what you're asking me, this is what happened. Unashamedly, he says, hey, you're asking me how this man was healed? This man who's really standing up here, who really was healed? This is who it was, Jesus Christ. He knew it was going to be an unpopular answer for them. Jesus Christ, whom you killed. Jesus Christ, who rose from the dead after he was killed. There was no, well, let's skirt the issue. Let's give a politically correct answer. Let's beat around the bush. He said, if this is what you're asking me, this is truly what happened. 
Are we giving people answers like that? Are we giving people direct answers that point them to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ? You know, if people ask, well, why did you do that? If you did something particularly gracious or kind, just sort of take it like, well, I'm a pretty great guy. That's why I did that. Or do we even just say, well, I'm a Christian. Or I go to church, you know. There are a lot of people who go to church or who don't go to church who can do nice things. You know, people can think you're a Christian because, well, you live in North America and North America isn't known as a, you know, a Muslim or some other religion type country. Why don't we point people back to the fact that I have a relationship with Christ and thankfully he's, he's working through me and he makes me want to do these things. Because if you look at Christ's life, his life is all about sacrifice and grace. He did this for the world. He gave his life and, and I have most joy in my life when I'm serving people as well. When I'm living according to the power or his presence in my life. You know, we, we need to take that opportunity. And it's hard. We need to do it, obviously, in a way that doesn't elevate us. Because it's not us. It's Christ in us that is the hope of glory. And so, this is what Peter does. Just like he said to the people before, don't look at us. This is because of Christ. The one that you crucified. He does the same thing here. He says, hey, we as people, we're responsible for Christ's death on the cross. He died for our sins. He's the one who's living and working through us. And in fact, he pins it on the religious, in particular, these Sadducees, as he takes them back to a picture in Psalm 118, where he said, this Jesus, who you crucified, the stone that the builders rejected, that they tossed out, the final, if you want to put it in our terms, the final puzzle piece, the one that makes the picture complete, that ties everything together. He was in the building. (laughs) He came. And you killed him. Your quarrel is not with me. Your quarrel's with God. The God who you say you serve. Jesus Christ is the head of the corner. He's the final piece. Boom. Just put him in place. He fits there perfectly. Life makes sense when we believe in Jesus Christ. And without him, life is just an incomplete picture and we're going, you know, it doesn't make sense and there's no hope at the end. Boom. Christ in there makes sense. The sin and confusion even makes sense. The struggles that we face, the challenges make sense and, oh no, we have joy because we know, oh, we are following God in a world that's affected negatively, <laughs> catastrophically by sin. But it all makes sense. And because of Christ, because of his death, because he died for me, I can have a relationship with God. I can have hope for all of eternity. Because God says, hey, if you're my child, you'll come, you'll live with me forever. And this is a prophetic statement that was in Psalm 118. Peter uses it here, but he also writes about it in his letter. If you go to uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 later on, we don't have to go there right now, you can read about it again. He uses this whole stone metaphor 
and as well, Jesus uses it throughout the Gospels in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He talks about the stone that the builders rejected. In Matthew 21, it says the religious leaders, as they were listening to him, and Jesus said, the stone the builders rejected has become head of the storm. It says, they perceived that he was speaking about them. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> they were rejecting him. He quoted this verse. And how would they respond to this controversial message? They still rejected him. Well, let's look at this final passage, part of the passage, verses 13 down to 22. This awkward sentencing. I call it an awkward sentencing because they really had nothing to say. They had nothing to do. They had no charges to lay. There was no, okay, community service, jail time, because they didn't do anything illegal. In fact, they did an incredibly good thing as far as the layman was concerned, something that nobody could dispute. So we sent, see this sentence passed down to the accused, and it awkwardly steps over, ignores reality. And a lot of times, that's what we get into when we start talking about Jesus Christ and salvation and, and how this makes the world make sense. Oftentimes, people will say things to us that step over reality. That's a natural approach. Sometimes you'll, you, you'll be saying, you know what makes sense? It makes sense that Jesus had to come into the world and die for our sin because if God created this world good, mankind brings into error, like how can we be related to God? And you'll, you'll explain that and show how God is working in the world and people will go, yeah, but I don't want to talk about that. I'm not interested. I'm, I'm happy. All of a sudden, sometimes people who are sharing about how upset they are about life, when you present them with a response, the answers in Christ and, and bringing our lives into conformity with His and responding to His gospel call, and they go, I'm not interested anymore. And so it doesn't make sense. And that's going to happen. And you know what? We need to realize that what doesn't make sense makes sense, naturally speaking. Because for how long did we do that? How long did we ignore Christ? How long did we ignore the gospel? How long did we fight against this notion that there is a God who created all this world, which makes so much sense, not that it appeared out of nothing and from nothing. How long did we go ignoring that truth? It's natural. It's natural. We want to be autonomous completely. We want to be God. We want to make up our own decisions. We want to do what we want to do. Right? Isn't that the way we want to live as human beings? Isn't that what's promoted by every advertiser out there? You deserve whatever you want. We've got it right here. This is what you want. Buy this. It'll make you happy. Pamper yourself. You deserve this. Well, also, as we read through this, uh, we see three strategies of how to deal with truth. We see God's strategy, we see their strategy, the opposition, and we see our strategy, what it should be. First of all, in, in verse 13, and I think this is one of the key verses for this entire passage, I want to read it. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated common men. They were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. The omnipotent God delights in sharing His truth even, and I would say especially, through common, 
uneducated, non-academic, even deficient people. That's us. Sometimes we're not even even able to articulate, to communicate truth clearly. We obviously have sin in our lives. We obviously have failings. But God delights to communicate His grace through us. We see that happening here. You see, all attention was brought out, drawn away from Peter and John because, it, like, these guys are just fishermen. Fishermen are, like, down here. They just grow up in a fishing boat and they learn how to fish. We're not even sure if they know how to think. <laughs> you know, they just pull in the nets. Oh, fish. They know how to fish. That's all they know. And so they weren't astonished with the men. It turns out they weren't even just astonished with the message. What were they astonished? Why were they astonished by them? And this is the powerful part. And this is what we've been talking about since the beginning of Acts. Abiding. Abiding. They recognized these men had been with Jesus. That was the impact right there. And you know, if we're going to be a people who impact the people of this world, it's not going to be because we go to church. It's not going to be because, hey, I, I receive Jesus as my Savior. It's going to be because we abide with Jesus, that we live in His presence, that we talk with Him, that we walk through this life being guided by Him because His Spirit is within us. And you know, all through Jesus' ministry, it wasn't that Jesus was highly educated. It wasn't that He had a position in the religious community. He was a nobody from Nazareth. And yet it constantly says they were astonished by him. They were astonished by Jesus. They were astonished by how he stood up and he just, sometimes he would just read the scripture and they were astonished because he was with himself. <laughs> because he was Jesus. Because God showed his grace through him and as we are with Jesus. Cor Ordinary, common people like us. Other people will see His grace in us. God wants to do that. God loves to do that. God did that through a baby that He sent to the world over 2,000 years ago. And He still wants to do that. He wants to show Christ through us. And that's God's always been God's plan. Will people say that of us? They recognized that those people, Truth Community Church, had been with Jesus. They, they live in his presence. They follow Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Nazareth. Someone reminded me that I often get tripped up when I'm saying that. Are they going to think, those people, they're in relationship with Jesus? That's God's plan. For truth. The opposition, what do they want to do? Well, we see down through 14 to 18, they want to squelch the truth. Even though they say themselves, that this lines up with reality. This man's really healed. We can't say he wasn't healed. They say it was by Jesus' power. They're followers of Jesus. We understand that they were present with Jesus. This is the same thing that Jesus Christ did now through these men. And this guy is really healed. Well, let's just shut him down. Does that even make sense? There's nothing legal. They can't say, well, they did this. They transgressed this law. They did. We can put him in jail. We, gag order at least. They can't have a group of this size or that. That's a legal maneuver. For specific purpose, they couldn't. So all they could do is threaten them. We don't like what you're saying. We're going to shut you down. 
Do we see that going on in the world today? Now, I'm not talking about legal things put in place because of COVID. That's not what I'm talking about. I mean, we, we do. We want to hold back. We want to stop a disease from spreading. And so the church should be on board with that, protecting the community. But as we see things politically going on today, we see people trying to shut other people down. We see people telling other people they're not allowed to talk. They're not allowed to say anything. In fact, they'll just put labels on them and say, oh, that person's this, and everybody goes, oh, they are? Oh. Well, why are they that? What did they say? Do you ever recognize how little people say about what people say? They just want to put labels on them. And you know what? It's important that we talk to people, even people who are wrong. It's important that there's a conversation to understand exactly what's going on so that people can learn from it. Even if they're wrong. Because if we live in a world where people are simply labeled and told to shut up, we don't learn to hold truth in high esteem. We see that happening here. These guys were saying, we don't like what they're saying. Shut them down. Shut them down. Don't let them talk. And we need to be people in this world who look for truth, who understand truth, who think about truth. Not who just say, well, this is what everybody else is saying. You know, I'm just going to go forward with it. I'm going to say, oh, this is a thumbs up. And that's, I mean, let's put labels. No, we need to talk. We need to be a thinking people. Especially as followers of Jesus Christ. Opposition squelch truth. The omnipotent shares truth through common people. What is our mandate? Verse 19 to 21 says, But Peter and John answered them, Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. What is truth? What is truth? Truth is what is real. If we've been impacted by truth, by the greatest truth there ever is, that this is real, we should be overflowing to other people with that truth. It doesn't matter what other people say, we will continue to share that truth, that there is a God, He did create. And although we're condemned because we go whatever way we want to go, we live according to our own rules, he reaches out in mercy and he wants to save. That is a message that can't be shut down. That we cannot stop sharing. And even though there's a threat against these men here, they're saying, you know what? You guys are religious authorities. We have a higher authority. We must continue to talk about Jesus Christ because he is the salvation of the world. He's the savior of the world. This is our only salvation. And so we understand the mandate that we have as ordinary people in this world. Our job is just to continue to share Jesus Christ. We need to make sure that we don't get tripped up and and, and share in an antagonizing way. We don't want to be arguers. We want to live the truth. We want to share the truth with others, giving answers to their questions as we're living for Christ, giving clear answers that point them to Jesus of Nazareth, the one who died on the cross, who saved us from our sins. This is our guiding principle. Truth clearly shared according to God's authority. We need to never back down from that. It's the hope of the world. Father,
thank you for this testimony, this example of, of these apostles, these first men in, in the church of Jesus Christ. The church which is not simply an institution. The church is, is made up of people, children of yours, who have been bought by your blood, by your son's blood on the cross who've been brought back into relationship with you. And Lord, help us as your children to be ready to live this message and to share it with others. Pray that you guide us. Help us. As we serve you in this world, may we live, we live for you. May we worship you in each part of our lives. May we exalt your name. Thank you. Thank you for giving us this direction, for giving us this guidance in the story. But thank you more so for living within us. And we pray that you'd continue to do this, that we would walk faithfully with you in Christ's name.